Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to a special guest episode of That Trippy Show. This week, we're excited to welcome an old friend, Mike Podhorzer, for his first time on this show, this one we've been working on for a while, listing what he's been working on would take most of the podcast. So I'll try to be short. Mike's a longtime Democratic strategist. If you're not familiar with his name, you certainly are familiar with his work from the AFL-CIO to the Analyst Institute to his role in the 2020 elections. And someone uh, that uh, I've relied on reading what he's put out and getting his take has been, was really important through the 2022 election cycle for both Alex and myself. Mike, welcome. Hello, good to be here. So, Mike, I, I want to get to something that we were talking about pre-show, which was actually for both of you. You guys can both really kind of wave your hands and say, I was right a really long time ago. Uh, what our listeners probably don't know is, you know, and Joe, Mike, and I have been talking for a while now, and Mike's been building a lot of these kind of coalitions, but you guys both called a lot of this way, way before 2022, 2021, 2020, even before that. Yeah, I think that I I mean I'm I don't know that like my goal was to call it. My goal was to say that, you know, on January 6, 2021, we had the first insurrection in American history and somehow the sort of savvy political class thought, well, this was had to be a regular midterm and maybe Democrats should talk about I don't know prescription drug prices or something, as if this thing hadn't happened. And, and that points to the fact that there are really two versions of, of what's happening in America. There's one in which once Trump became president, we entered a new political era in which there was much greater engagement by voters because voters understood there was much more at stake now. And so we saw in 2018, by far the largest increase in turnout in American history is pretty ahistorical. And MAGA lost. We went to 2020, highest, another high turnout election, and Trump lost. Because for when Americans understand that what's on the ballot is MAGA and Trump, they come out in great numbers and historic numbers and reject it. There's another like reality, which is the one you get on op-ed pages and smart political consultants that ignore that reality, that think we're still living in the 2015 world where the pendulum just has to swing back and forth and there's nothing you can do about it and everything's partisan politics, right? And in 2022, we had a midterm like no other. We're in about 15 states where the top of the ticket was competitive and there was a MAGA candidate Democrats actually did better than they did in the 2018 wave, blue wave election. And then in the other 35 states where there wasn't a competitive MAGA race at the top of the ticket, the political pundits got exactly the midterm they had expected, which was Democrats losing pretty considerably. And the, what stood in the way of Democrats keeping the House this time, as ridiculous as that sounded to people two years ago, was simply the inability of the mainstream media to make clear to voters in California, New York, New Jersey, that when they were staying home, they were electing um, Kevin McCarthy speaker. 
And there's no way to believe that voters in Wisconsin who returned Evers to the governor's office by more than he won in 2018 would not would have sent George Santos to Congress if they knew that was electing Kevin McCarthy. Right. Yeah. You know, Mike, what's fascinating to me is how that still is going on. I mean, is is, is there the. the the media cycle and pundits already start talking about 2024 and, you know, and, and again, sort of looking through the old lens and not realizing, I think, particularly with the Republican, you know, MAGA Congress, that that dynamic is still going to be there. And, and it's going to be, I think, harder for for the for Republicans to, for instance, the places you talked about, California, New York, et cetera, to not to not get what's, you know, you know that. Uh, what we're electing now, right? Th- that continues. It's it it blew me away that no one could could see it. I understand people not seeing that 2018, for example, you know, but by 2020, when you see the and, and now 22, you know, it's it's been the we're not in that old election cycle. There is now a different dynamic, and that dynamic is, it, you know, makes looking into the future here a lot more different than a lot of the pundits and and the the press are still sort of aligned to to follow the old the old you know like we're having another we haven't had a normal election in, in you know in in like three or four cycles right, no. uh, why they still think it's going to be you know oh the next midterm will be you know you, you can't do that and i think the dynamic though is lined up pretty well if democrats continue to do the work and a pro-democracy coalition continues to to understand the stakes, I think uh, look pretty good going forward. The one thing I wanted to to ask you, though, is what was the catalyst? When did you realize that, you know, for instance, that something could really go wrong in 2020? Uh, You know, when did you get your first, when did you first realize that that change was happening? Yeah, so really, like everybody else, and when you know, Trump took the oath of office and started talking about American carnage, right? And if you remember that at the time, we started to hear from a lot of um, very important academics, Tim Snyder, Steve Levitsky, Dan Simblatt, others talking about how much America was starting to look like other countries and that there were the, the danger of a potential dictator. And if you remember for the first few years of Trump, whenever anybody would ask the question, you know, will he leave if he loses, people you knew at a sort of superficial level thought, well, no way. But then they just went on doing what they were doing, right? And by mid-2019, it was obvious that he really wasn't going to do it, right? And that and that it had and that the important thing was to take what everybody sort of new intellectually and made sure that people started understanding um, emotionally that unless we changed what we were doing, unless we came up with new ways of preparing, that it would be too late. And that is what was extraordinary about 2020 was that there had never, no one had ever had to write a post-election campaign plan to make sure that the results were followed. Right. But there was so much to do. Right. There was so much effort that had to go into getting people to vote by mail. 
there was so much effort that had to go into making sure that there would be enough poll workers to that people could vote on election day. There was so much, I mean, over all of these things that had never been part of a political campaign before suddenly had to get done and everybody rose to the occasion and got it done. The important thing, right, because I'd been doing, I've been doing something professional in every elect federal election since 1976 and written a lot of campaign plans, but among the first to ever have to do one for the post-election, right? And that's what we had to do. And the thing that was to, um, as you can remember, if you go back to sort of how everybody felt in the summer, fall of 2020, were, you know, um, had a kind of irrational panic about what was about to happen, where you had like the the election that'll break America and all of those things. And the thing that we realized, though, is that as as really broken and archaic as the American political system is, it still was going to follow a track after first everybody was going to vote. We had to make sure that happened. Then the votes had to be counted, made sure that happened. They had to be certified. We made sure that happened. And then we had to make sure January 6th, and we made sure that happened. But when you break it down, you realize that there's a way to solve each of those. And people came together and did that. The really important thing was that, which was what the panic before the election didn't see, and which we were incredibly fortunate to make clear, is that once Biden was seen as winning, there was nothing for us to protest. Right. And so the right. And so the impulse to react to Trump um, when he said stop the count or all of those things had to be constrained. Because imagine if there'd been counter demonstrators on the Capitol grounds on January 6th trying to protect the vote. Right. We'd be living in a different world right now. Right. And so. That was it. That was a really important part of this was make understanding that one that we are still in a country that's sufficiently okay that once everyone sees that what the outcome was, the institutions swing into action to protect that. One thing I wanted to ask both of you, and I think you both came to this together in in different ways, and Joe more in in the kind of post-election time too about what we needed to do next. But you guys both realized nobody could really do this alone, just given how gargantuan the tasks and tasks were that one organization really couldn't or one person or group couldn't, couldn't do this. Mike, you really have stressed from the beginning that this had to be a coalition effort. And a lot of what you've done and what you've been doing is kind of being a convener and bringing people together. Yeah. I think the thing that we have to understand is that, and it's been very difficult because the media keeps wanting to make the Republican Party look like a normal party. The Republican Party has been captured by a MAGA movement, a, a you know an anti-democratic, fascist, whatever you want to call it, movement like that. And when you look around the world, like no such movement is ever stopped by just the left or the center left. Right. Those things, unless all of society comes together to resist that kind of attack on its institutions and its basic values, you end up losing. That's what happened. Remember that Mussolini, Hitler, all these people won by elections in a fractured environment where 
the society did not understand what the threat was and was sort of arguing with itself, right? And so this is defeating them is to me not a partisan task. And that's been part of the problem for the media is for them, like the Democratic Party, it's, you know, the Democratic it's not a question the, the media does not look at their responsibility to us as American citizens, but merely kind of sportscasters who, you know, either Democrats are going to protect democracy or not. Oh, well. Right. And that's what we have to get around. And that's why for this, unlike anything else, we need a coalition that includes everybody other than other than MAGA. Yeah, I, I, for the better part of the last cycle, the you know, last two years, was uh, pretty much on that whole message. I mean, I came out and I tried to convince as many others in the party and the press, which was crazy to try to get them to get it, is that this is no longer a right versus left or Democrats versus Republican right. fight. This is all of us in the pro-democracy coalition take on the enemies of democracy. And, and that's across the board. It's got, you know, Republicans, former Republicans, independents, Democrats, every, everybody in society who, who uh, wants to protect and to defend democracy has to join together, put, you know, put past differences aside even and make democracy, saving democracy and taking on its enemies the number one priority of, of all of us. And I think enough, I mean, you were, uh, as Alex pointed out, you were actively trying to be a convener. It actually worked, not trying, did it, uh, brought people together and promoted that. But it, it's going to take, it's still, it's, this fight is not going away. It, even if, if Trump runs and is defeated, even if he's in, you know, indicted it, 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 and found guilty, Trumpism and this cult uh, authoritarian movement is still going to be there and is still going to be fighting to to take power. And so, you know, we, that that coalition has to we have to keep building it and growing it into into this next cycle. Absolutely. And two things I want to say. First, just as um Alex said uh, I think I thought you did at the top, I was I've been at the FLCIO for 25 years and political yeah. director for a decade. And on the eve of the 2020 election, we joined hand with the Chamber of Commerce to say the rules had to be followed, right? Probably the first time in my career that I was standing there doing a press conference with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, right? But that's what right. it takes, right? We're not going to agree on any other issue, right? But that's what a coalition that protects democracy looks like. It's laboring and the chamber, it's everybody but MAGA. But the thing that I think was really important, what you said about this is not going away, is, is to really understand that on the national scene, this seemed like something that began with Trump. But I think it's important for people to understand that that's really not the case, right? Trump managed to find a way to lead a parade that was already marching. To me, the inflection point, the most recent inflection point here was November 4th, 2008, uh, when Barack Obama won. And 
we know that that everybody knows that that triggered the Tea Party, right? But what also happened on November 4th was that John McCain immediately came on after the election was called and delivered a very gracious concession speech, uh, not only acknowledging that Obama had won, but that this was an important step forward for America. And that really infused and created the Tea Party political program, which was to get rid of rhinos. And they hit the jackpot with the 2010 election, which elected candidates up and down the ballot backing backed by that Tea Party fury. And suddenly they were 83 people in the House of Representatives. They were Scott Walker instead of Tommy Thompson. They began a cycle of taking over these states and not and 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 getting their agenda implemented, right? We now, you know, 49% of Americans live in essentially Republican trifecta states with, with no real sense of being able to get back to where they were in 2008, right? The, these are states that since 2008 have made it much more difficult for people to vote, have all passed pre-viability abortion bans, have all like taken all restrictions off, um, gun own, just up and down, stand your ground, everything, right? Half of America before Trump had turned into MAGA, right? And so that third of America who believes in that the that Biden didn't win, that he stole the election, isn't going away. It's not a function of Trump. It is the fact that between Fox Media and the white evangelical churches, we have this stubborn third that's never going to acknowledge the legitimacy of democratic outcomes if they lose. I mean, that's one of the points that you've made consistently um, in your newsletters and other yeah. things. That, you know, that, that dismissing the danger of dismissing Trump and MAGA is a sideshow, and at the same time, combine that with how the media is still trying to both sides democracy. Uh, that combination is is really really dangerous. Right. As we move forward, people have to do not dismiss uh, the threat of this MAGA cult. And again, the media, the combination of that and the media is still trying to do there's a there's a rational Republican. There's two parties in America that are pro-democracy. Not true. It is one that's a big threat to democracy. And they're not reporting it that way. Right. Um, unfortunately. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, you Likely, I know you're doing you, you we're, as we uh, as this show comes out on Friday that you've been you'd already did a presentation at CAP on your look at the midterms. Is there you know what of that? Uh, and I know you'll you're that's ongoing uh, in the next week or so, and and after that. But what what can we learn uh, from 2022, or what do you think are the most important uh, things that stood out to you that you yeah. as you've been making this these uh, uh, reports. Yeah, I think that, uh, and probably for your audience to sort of connect it to way sort that sort of political and media class came out of 2020, right? The when Trump won, the uh, we all understood that Arizona, Georgia, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin had become the fulcrum American politics. And all of those savvy people were telling us this was a disaster for Democrats, a disaster for us because of, you know, white non-college voters and the advantage they had in 
those states and it was like imminent doom. And when Trump was sworn in, um, in those five states, there was one Democratic governor and four of the 10 senators were Democrats, right? Now, four of the five governors are Democrats. The only one still Republican is Kemp, which is the exception that proves the rule because of the unwarranted way though, in which their seat, he and Raffensperger were seen as being pro-democracy. And nine of the 10 senators are Democrats. Essentially, in those states that were supposed to tank Democrats because they were too conservative or they were too non-college or whatever, Democrats have almost lost zero statewide elections, right? Because in those states, in each of these elections, voters understood they were voting on whether or not to empower MAGA or Trump, right? And as sort of savvy Democrats are telling people, well, you've got to find an issue that will appeal to independents or Republicans to get them to come over or, or some such thing. What they're missing is that independents and even some Republicans come over to vote against MAGA, right? It's not, it's the, the problem isn't that Democrats aren't for the thing that will suddenly magically make conservative voters vote, you know, for Democrats. But to understand that they have a role in being the opposition to this movement, right? And that's what's so sort of myopic about it is that the Democrats keep winning independents and even some Republicans, but that's not acknowledged, right? But they're only doing it in places where there's that contrast between Republicans who want to take away your right to your reproductive rights or take away your right to vote. I mean, that's the right. That's what's being ignored. Is, you know, one of the things it's pretty consistent is that it's how the media, how do we improve or, you know, or get evolved media coverage on these, you know, on to, to get into that frame. Uh, because I think that one of the things, you know, they've invested, you know, Murdoch and, Koch brothers and have invested tons of money in Fox News and Breitbart and, and, and Newsmax and, you know, sort of this out mega outrage machine that, that kind of drives the narrative that, that, that the mainstream media and Democrats fall, fall into. Um, there's a great Philip Bump piece on how Fox sort of primed the pump on crime. Oh, yeah, it was great. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah, and then two weeks later, uh, MSNBC and CNN are, are basically all of a sudden uh, following suit and doing crime, crime, crime. Th there's no such animal on the pro-democracy side, right? I mean, in other words, there's no, there is no, um, uh, it, which is what I've been trying to work on is trying to create a, a media hub for um, that, that kind of amplifies, you, you know, the arguments and takes uh, the mega media on. But how do you, how do you see how how we evolve that? I I know you've had I've got a couple of great quotes I can read that you've said, but uh, I I'd like to uh, get you to expound on that. A sure. Little bit. Well, one thing I want to do to be a little bit um, maybe a little pessimistic, realistic about that framing is that while Murdoch and others put money into right wing media, 
what we have to understand is that Fox and all the other right-wing media properties right now are commercially profitable, right? They're not being subsidized every year by billionaires to do be a propaganda machine. They and and that's that's what's so dangerous, right? Is that even let we take a point like the tw- the twenty twenty election coverage, Murdoch clearly put the word out for Fox that they were going to cover election night straight, that they weren't going to fought. They didn't Hannity, Carlson, none of them were around. You remember their decision desk called Arizona before the networks did. They decided they were going to be an actual news source. Right. And I, I don't know this, but my strong guess is because corporate America had decided they didn't want chaos. Right. And every right. day of the after that Tuesday after uh, in 2020, they were losing market share because that audience doesn't want to hear that, right? And so in that week, they lost like a chunk of their audience to Newsmax and OAN. And then you remember once it got called, they did the 180 and did you know we're talking about Dominion vote fixing and. They fired their decision, some of the people on the decision desk and all of that to get their market share back. So the reason that that it's it is we have to accept that it's going to be asymmetric because what's commercial, there is a commercially profitable market of that third of America that wants to believe a kind of white ethno-nationalist story, white Christian dominance. And every night you go on if I mean, I don't know if it's safe to recommend this to your listeners, but it's worth taking a few minutes every once in a while to watch Tucker or watch Fox News because you really get a grasp then of what's going on. Even if someone tells you what they're saying, it's not the same as watching because what you see is no matter what happened that day, the story comes out there as all Democrats, it's all the Democrats' fault. Democrats are evil. It just is the same story every night. Oh, and that the, you know, white politicians, whatever, are the answer, right? And once you see that, you see why we're in such an attractable problem, because Republican leaders, having acknowledged that world, can never compromise, right? Because if your entire base believes that Democrats are evil and pedophiles and so on, how could you go and compromise? And that's why they're always vulnerable to the more extreme right, because there's no, they always have to prove their purity, as we saw in the how the speaker votes, right? That's not at they're trapped in that loop. And and that's why this is such a intractable problem at the moment. Yeah, I want to read a quote that, that from you. Uh he said, consider what a media that covered politics from our perspective as citizens rather than as partisans might look like. At the outset, it might have adopted a frame that foregrounded the fact that unlike other midterms, which predictably seesawed with partisan shifts, this one would be about accountability for the failed insurrection and whether fascism had gained ground. In that context, it was pers- perfectly reasonable to believe that historic pat- patterns could be overcome. And then, and then you also, and I, I just think these are really insightful. When America is in such a crisis, as I've outlined above, 
The media should be laser focused on exposing the architects of this crisis, in particular MAGA, its origins, its financial backers, the agenda it has already achieved, and the damage it has done. I mean, I could go on, right. but I think this is no. It's a real, you know, insight, insightful uh, look at what I would hope the media would start to grasp, particularly as this is as McCarthy and the. You know, and the MAGA caucus, you know, maneuver and and try to disrupt and and actually, I think, tr try to cause as much failure as they can to address any problem and, and pin it all on Biden and the Democrats with Fox. Yeah, and everybody, of course, this is all because of the evil Democrats. It's not because of the uh, this authoritarian movement. But I, I just, you know, again, you know, so is that? Do you think it's it, it involves some sort of for profit in it, entity on, you know, that's pro democracy and trying to, to, or, or is it is it possible to get the, the the media to to move and understand the the way they should be framing this and looking at it as citizens and and not as just a the political football you know yeah. football game yeah no that's the thing about the mainstream media is that it wobbles right there if you look at the coverage in the summer and fall of 2020, that they very much came close to what you what I was just saying they should be, right? We it was a period in which they were forthright about saying Trump lied or Trump is trying to undermine the election, as opposed to saying some people say that Trump is lying. Right. right? That they dropped yeah. that for about six, seven months. And and the result was clear. The entire nation knew what how to vote, right? They knew what was going on. And that was essential. And then, and that continued, right? The insurrection just reinforced that. And the media was very clear about it until about March of 2022, 2021. If you remember when Georgia passed SB202 to try to make it more difficult for people of color to vote and to make it easier for them to overturn results. Biden came out forcefully, Jim Crow 2.0. Um, the corporate world was still aligned in, in coalition. They pulled the all-star game from, uh, from Atlanta. And then like the kind of savvy media started saying, well, Let's take a look at those voter restrictions. Are they really as bad as the Democrats say they are? And suddenly the whole thing kind of dissolved and and the media went back to both sides. In, right. And and that's where yeah. it kind of stayed until the January 6th hearings began, when through the January 6th hearings, the media was not really both sides. In, right. They were really competing with each other for more scoops out of the, the criminal conspiracy, right? And that's the problem is that that they wobble because then that was sustained until about mid-October. And then suddenly, you know, the New York Times is people have stopped caring about democracy and instead care about crime, as you were saying, and rising prices and just like took the air out of the balloon and suddenly Everyone was writing stories about how this was going to be a regular midterm after all, right? But the 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 challenge we have in trying to uh, to to win this battle is that 
most Americans have become so cynical about anything politicians say about themselves or each other that it's only when that mainstream media is reaffirming it that we can make progress, right? And to use a historic analogy that also sort of sets the bar of, of, of where we are, if you remember for like the almost the entirety of Jim Crow, the mainstream media just looked the other way, right? And treated segregationists as legitimate democratic, small d democratic actors. And then you got the 60s and the mainstream media actually flipped. And because they started reporting what was actually happening in the Jim Crow states, they, cre- they helped reinforce a national consensus that led to the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. And the Voting Rights Act was extraordinary because it basically was, it reflected a consensus that said it doesn't matter whether Southern states um, uh, try to enact voting laws, voting regulations um, that are in some sense small d democratic because they're passed by a legislature, right? They can be prevented from going into effect because we all know they were in bad faith, right? And then you get to the 2010s and the Roberts and Federalist Society, and what do they do? They're gutting Shelby. They're gutting all of the things that made this the country we want to live in, right? But the the problem was that the media that was united in making it clear to America in the 60s just who those states were and what they were about is now wobbling. Right now, the media like has this bizarre way of looking at voter suppression which basically says if no one can prove that turnout, democratic turnout was down, doesn't matter, right? So we've gone from doing studies to show that facially neutral laws are in fact um, undermining African-American participation to doing studies to show that laws that are passed to intend to suppress Black voter participation didn't actually have that effect. It's upside down. Yeah, it's because there was a larger turnout. It couldn't possibly have been because of the rule rules changes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's like. But the thing, the thing that's crazy about it, right, is that even now, right, no one, none of those folks, none of those academics, not the people who report in the media, would want it. Would actually ever go and do a study to say, you know, that poll tax. It really wasn't a problem because it didn't reduce um, black turnout disproportionately, right? I mean, correctly, that person like probably would lose, would be in deep trouble. But right. what, what's missing is that all of these voter restrictions absolutely disproportionately make it more expensive for people of color to vote. And the only difference between what they're doing and the poll tax is that instead of writing a check to the government, you're having to take time off without pay. You're having to drive further to a polling place. You're having to, you're, there's no doubt that it is more, expe- it is becoming increasingly more expensive for people of color to vote, for poor people to vote. And that by itself should be enough to disqualify those laws. You know, there's one thing you, you mentioned earlier about after the January 6th committee, 
it seems to have had this, that same thing where they're now trying to outscoop each other and what they can find out about that. And, and also now with the house, the, the, the you know, with, with uh, people like uh, Jim Jordan uh, heading up uh, these committees, what's your, I mean, is, is, do you fear that that's now going to, you know, that, that as those committees start doing these investigations, the press falls into that trap of, you know, you know, trying to outscoop each other over, you know, sort of fabricated Republican committee right. hearings or, or, you know, what, what's your and what's your take on, on what's going on right now with the documents and stuff for our listeners to. It, it's it's terrifying how everyone's lost their mind over the document story and also reflects a kind of short sightedness, I think, of capital D democratic messaging. The only thing that's equivalent between what Trump did and Biden is that the word document is in the sentence, right? The, yeah. the as has been reported, it is not unusual for classified documents to inadvertently get, find their way out of um, an administration when they move on, right? What the raid on Mar-a-Lago the reason that it got brought to the public's attention was because Trump was resisting giving it back and because he was obstructing justice and he was he was actively violating the law. And yet it was months before it was made public by Garland and the FBI, right? They tried to work it out quietly, right? And so the issue in this thing is not the documents in private possession. The issue is complying with the law, right? The issue is that what Trump has been doing and continues to do is criminal activity, right? What Biden is doing is what every other president's done, is try to cooperate with the archives and make sure that everything is in order, right? And yet the media is like, like kind of gone crazy, and so have a lot of Democrats on that I sometimes see in trying, you know, to not just say like, "Hello, this is the reason we know about Trump at all is because he was violating the law." The reason we know about Biden is because he came forward and disclosed it. It's it's nuts, but it is really it is really frightening. Right. Because to go back to like when the media acts responsibly or not, if you think back to the Ukrainian impeachment, the impeachment over aid to the Ukraine, right? Remember that despite what had to be an enormous temptation, the media properly didn't go looking for Hunter Biden stories. No one did, you know, well, maybe there is something here story. Right. Right. Because there was an understanding. That that's what Trump, that that was the distraction they wanted to, to have. And I'm really sort of troubled that right now they're just racing right back into that trap. Yeah, that's what I was worried. I mean, that's what I see is that there's a look at the reality is that uh, it seems to me one of the things that's also missing this, there, there's clearly some flaw in the way we shut down administrations and, and where these documents shouldn't you know leave where they're supposed to be but they they do it for you know inadvertently yeah or or on purpose and what can we do you know you'd think in a in an adult world uh the first question would be 
um, what can we do to to uh, strengthen that process and uh, and make sure that as stringent as possible, there are controls that don't don't allow this to happen in the future. And then let justice and uh, look at whether it was unwitting or intentional. Yeah. And and like you said, I mean, the, 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 in that score, Biden is a, uh, in my view, a, a good, uh, a decent and honest uh, person who, you know, in his administration, as soon as they uh, realized there, they, these documents existed, uh, immediately did exactly what you're supposed to do and what every other, right. not only administration, but anybody who's handled and been uh, uh, cleared uh, to handle classified documents who found one <laughs> that they took home has immediately done. Right. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. This, is, this isn't, a, you know, something that, that, ha that, that there is a clear way to deal with it. And, and, and Biden's done that. And as you point out, by the way, I mean, had they just sat on them, you know, for six years, no one knew they were there. Right. We wouldn't know any of this. We know it because they, as you point right. out, they did the right thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, the same reason we, we know Trump is because it is not because he did notified anybody. It was because they'd been talking and talking and trying to get him to do, just do the right thing. And he, he claimed there was his and he's keeping them and, you know, go, go jump in a lake and, uh, and obstructed justice, and we still don't know right. uh, if they really looked for it, have have gotten everything. The Biden administration and and justice are cooperating, and you know, and looking wherever they can for whether there are other documents. But there again, I just think it's the way the press has now gone totally into you know the out trying to out scoop each other on some without pointing really pointing out. That this is a, a lot, you know, and particularly now with uh, Comer and others uh, on the Repu you know, on the mega Republican side pressing investigations, which, by the way, they were never interested right. at all, and still aren't on the Trump side of things. It's just, uh, but the, right, the mainstream media has just gone into it, into that mode again, and I and, I, and it, on this, you know, I'm not that worried about it to be honest with you. Um, I mean, it's scary, but. I, I think uh, when this all, you know, taking the longer view, when when all the facts are out in three or four whatever months and compared with Trump, the Biden, and, and, you know, this will all be clear to people that it, it was all hyped. Uh, I'm more worried if that continues with as these, uh, it, you know, as Republicans start doing, uh, you know, again, just as this sort of thing is sort of manufactured outrage uh, by them that the, the media is pursuing now. Uh, there's going to be a ton of that over the next two years, and and media needs to get it. I mean, I I think that you know the part of what's going on here too is that, and this is where should the failure the media to really uh, alert America to what was at stake in 2022, right? I mean, there's nothing that's happening now that all of us that the media didn't know would happen if Republicans took control of the House. And yet that was not a headline anywhere right. before the election for voters to understand. There's nothing surprising about this. And the they're not just trying to scoop each other here. What's dangerous is that they're trying to make sure they have access to Republican leaders now that they're in power. And they're trying to show that they are fair so that they can get interviews, so they can get information to report. And that's the rationale that they 
they talk about, and that's what's so dangerous for the rest of us. Right? Yeah. And well, Mike, I uh, I know Alex is uh, pounding on me that we're over. Uh, wait, I could <laughs> I could ask you more and and, and listen more. Yeah. Uh, it's a fascinating. Yeah, uh, happy to come back. Yeah, anytime. and thanks, Mike, for coming on, and thanks everyone yeah. for listening to that trippy show. Uh, hey, Mike, where can our listeners find your work? Uh, is there things online? Yeah, I'll send. Uh, let, you have a link to the midterm analysis. You should. Put yeah, that we'll up. put that in our show notes. Uh, and can they and call that, you? What, what's your handle on Twitter? Yeah, and that's a Substack. A uh, Substack, and I'm not really on Twitter now. I, I, Mike's a great resource, and I think. Uh, has helped uh, greatly with my thinking about the building the pro-democracy coalition. Uh, in any case, uh, please subscribe to that trippy show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to that trippy show at gmail.com or leave us a question and review on iTunes. I'm sorry we didn't get to any of those today because uh, I was too busy asking uh, my questions. Uh, but uh, We'll see you next week. And remember, this is a Resolute Square podcast now that will always be free. And you should check out ResoluteSquare.com because there's a lot of good uh, writing and and other uh, podcasts over there. Thanks a lot, everybody. And we'll see you next week.